Hello and welcome to episode 374 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks, who opened training camp. Wow. Wednesday is this podcast is released. It is happening. Football is almost back. Are you ready for it? No, not even remotely. We always talk about this. Okay. You're never ready for it. Never Everybody ready. else is ready for it. Not You're even the a little least bit. ready for fall of any person I've ever met. You're the exact opposite of the Onion article. <laughs> it, yeah. I, it's not that I necessarily like dislike fall on its own merits that much. Fall Although I do. beautiful now. You're the only person who dislikes fall. Can't stand it. You're really just the worst. Because <laughs> spring you're building towards something. Fall, you're building towards darkness. You're seeing, you, you talk about seeing the darkness. We see the darkness. It's called the Seattle winter. No, the Seattle winter is not the darkness. I, it is literally. I don't know if you're aware of this. We don't see the sun. When it's the opposite of what you have right now, you, you're nostalgic for it, right? Yeah. I'm like excited for like cold winter's days. I have zero nostalgia for that, sir. You are cold and empty, empty husk of a human being <laughs> if you don't like fall. Literally, no one doesn't like well, fall. Not a husk of corn and a corn man, so I'll tell you that much. It's objectively the best season. Can't, can't get on board with this one. It is. Summer is great. But also, now that, thanks to global warming, Seattle's sunny through almost all of October. I, I do not agree with this assessment. You're not... You don't agree that that happened? I don't agree that that happened. Or, I, yes, there was some very nice days for much of October last year. Also, some a lot of a lot of very hazy days. Alas, I mean, obviously, you don't think when, we can count on October being sunny in Seattle? No. Okay. I'm not counting on that. I'm counting on it. I'm counting on Seattle being sunny. Like I'm savoring every sunny day we have. May fifth through October thirtieth. Now. Times have changed. Seattle is different. And fall is the best. Well, you know what else has changed? What's that? What hasn't changed is the quality of Pagliacci pizza. There we go. What has changed is that they're offering, once again, the pizza in collaboration with our friends at Lil Woody's, the Lil Woody's Primo. And you had this for the first time last night. And then you declared it, I think, the greatest pizza you've ever had. It's the best Pagliacci pizza I've ever had. Wow. It is incredible. Having a sauce on pizza is really underrated. I agree. And the sauce is very good. I, I had it yesterday, and then I came back today, and I had the rest of it. Yeah, there were, there were a couple small slices left over. It I like feel one like giant nobody slice. else ate it. I had, I had one, maybe two slices. I was the only one really cranking on that Lil Woody's Pagliacci pizza. So my friend yesterday... Had pepperoni pizza from Pagliacci for the first time and declared it Seattle's best pepperoni. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I'm impressed. So, there rave reviews for uh, Pagliacci. Yeah. Uh, well, we should get into our search for Seattle's best IPA, which today takes us to our friends at Mitier Brewing Company, one of Seattle's fastest coming growing beer, uh, breweries. I didn't even know they had an IPA. Yeah, I feel like we have not paid a lot of attention to their IPAs. The Trailblazer Pale Ale 
is kind of the signature beer from Métier. But they have a couple of full-time IPAs, and one of them is more widely available, as far as I can tell, at least when I was looking at Beer Star earlier this evening, is the Horizon IPA. Idaho 7, Amarillo, and Azaka hops combine to create a fruity and danky IPA with strong notes of tangerines, additions of sweet orange peels, bringing zesty citrus aroma. So... Excited to check this one out. I put together a list of some other some other IPAs we need to get to here. I don't know if you have any other thoughts about things that make sense. Uh, we have not done Bale Breaker's Top Cutter. Okay. Uh, they also have the Skyward is highly rated. Uh, obviously, Cloudburst. We want to do the Cosmic Lust. I mean, the thing about Cloudburst is they don't actually have like a full-time beer menu, so they kind of don't fit into our whole paradigm. Yeah, but it has to be part of the search. Yes, I And agree. almost everything they do is an IPA. Yes, that is their primary thing. It's almost like Cloudburst as a brewery should be reviewed. Correct. Uh, future Primitive Green River, I want to do it for sure. We had the Future Primitive that was uh, the the queer beer, which is uh, also a part-time, so therefore not technically part of the search. Uh, Lucky Envelope, Eniac, Mosaic, uh, the Red Hook Long Hammer, I feel like we have to do for old time's sake. And the Silver City Tropic Haze slash Lavin Amplified. It kind of I kind of forgot the Tropic Haze is just a straight up IPA, but that's that's one of my favorites. So that definitely needs to be part of our search. Absolutely, Silver City is not one we've had in a while. No, it's been a minute, even though we always enjoy them. All right, well, it's a short list of toasts this week. Uh, now that we're out of All Star season, uh, we just have one this week. A congratulations to Storm rookie Dulce Funka Mengiato, who was named the American Athletic Conference Female Scholar Athlete of the Year, receiving a four thousand scholarship towards her post grad studies. Mengiato, also the women's basketball scholar athlete, holds a three point seven three GPA in her finance grad work after graduating with a degree in mathematics from South Florida. So I asked her about this the other day before the game, and she said she is going back to continue her studies this offseason. Really? Yeah. All right. So uh, you just came back from Chicago. How many Italian beef sandwiches did you eat? I had zero, actually. Zero? I told you going in, you're shocked. I said this to you on the podcast last week that I was not going to have time to have Italian beef sandwiches. So what is the, the beef in the bear? Is it based off one particular location? Is it Al's beef? I don't think it's Al's because Al's is a chain. Al's is like a larger chain. Yeah. Okay. So Al's is probably the set. Portillo's is the most prominent chain. That it, does Portillo's te- is like hot dogs, though. They they do both. Okay. And then Al's, I think, is the second most prominent chain, as far as I can tell. So there's not like one location that it's based off of? I think there might be, but I, I think it's probably a composite. Uh, well, I saw both of those. I saw Al's Beef, and I was like, oh, Al's Beef. Yeah. And then I like drove by a Portillo's. I mean, Which I was right I, downtown. I went to both of those the first time I went to Chicago. I, I found Al's better. I, I've been back there. I've been back a second time. But the last time I went to Chicago, the bear had not come out yet. Wow. So I was not the Italian beef connoisseur that I now am. The last time I went to Chicago, it was 2014. <laughs> okay, that's been longer for you. you so the bear definitely was not out yet. I guess actually that's, yeah, no, yeah, the last time I went was May 2021, so it was right before the bear came out. The the last time I went, I went, I was no, literally the first, I've been to Chicago two times now. Or May 2022, I should the say. The first time I went in 2014, I was in Wicker Park, and I did not leave Wicker Park. I didn't see a fucking skyscraper. You know what I mean? If you were to ask me, and this is true for whenever I, like, go on work trips to any city, I never see any site. Uh-huh. 
and but that time was like more notable than ever. All I saw was Wicker Park and the neighborhood around it. And so this time I was straight up downtown. I was at River North. So I actually got to see a bunch of the things. Literally, I opened up my the the hotel windows in the morning. I got in like 2 a.m. And I, I opened up the hotel windows the next morning. And it was like, boom, the fucking Wilco Towers are right there yeah. from the bedroom. And I was just like, oh, shit, there's the thing. Yeah. Uh, within like a five-minute walk, there was a Lou Malnati's, which I never had before. I've been, again, been to Chicago two times. The first time I had no Chicago style pizza. Uh So ended up going to a Lou Malnati's. This is the only like food of note. I went to a a brunch place called Cafe Roby, which was very, very good. But that, that's kind of it. You know, it's not like a notable Chicago location or anything. Lou Malnati's took a very long time. Uh, it was a little bit of a clusterfuck ordering, understanding even how to order. It's packed. Uh, and I thought the pizza was fine. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think the main chains are a little bit just fine. It's, there's 16 locations. Like, uh, I don't think any, aside from Taco Time, of course, any <laughs> any business, which there are less than 60 Taco Times, right? No, there's way more than 60. Remember, oh, Randy okay. was stuck on 69 for a while. Okay, yeah, I forgot about that. He's now, I believe, at 76. Oh, by the way. Yeah. To the Talking Taco Time heads. So, number one, today... We, we were told was going to be the return of the, the Caesar products, including the chicken Caesar soft taco that is both Christmas and my all-time favorite. It's, this is a huge item. day in talking taco time news. It is not apparently out today. I drove, drove past the, uh, the Fairwood location on my way to your house, and there's no signage about it whatsoever huh. in addition to it not being on the app. But okay. we promise you, when it returns... There's going to be a talk. Hopefully it'll be Wednesday and that, that pod will come soon. But there is going to be a talk in taco time about that. And to discuss Randy getting ever closer to reaching his goal of visiting, I believe it's all 79. Okay. Taco time Northwest locations. Well, look, for a business that has 60 locations, I just think the quality can't be that amazing. And I don't know. I, I don't know if you've heard. They, they serve it at uh, Ever. <laughs> yeah. No, was that, that was, was that Pig, I think it was Pequod's that Pequod's. they served there. Which Pequod's is uh, there's only one, right? Pequod's but they is also a totally different like experience. they dress it up totally differently. It wasn't like they just come out with the pizza. Uh, somewhat differently. They just cut it up. This is all a spoiler. No, they dressed it differently. But th- I was just like, this pizza's fine. Like it wasn't life changing or anything. It was just it was a good pizza. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, no, I mean it's just like you gotta try it because you're in and and admittedly, I would say the same thing about, you know, in Al's Italian beef. It's not like you're going to be like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing sandwich I've ever eaten before. Like, it's it's 90% the same components as a cheesesteak. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not that life-altering. But, you know, you got to do it. Okay. That, so, that was it. I don't know. I, I wish that I'd eaten, I had a chance to eat better food in Chicago. At the festival that I was at, I was, like, kind of hoping that the food trucks or whatever would be stronger. It wasn't really a food truck festival though. It was like a stand festival, mm-hmm. maybe even more similar to Bite to Seattle, which you went to where there's the different stands set up, right? Not that you're driving in with your truck. So you have your normal thing that limits the type of locations that are going to be there. Mm-hmm. And again, the food was just fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's fine. I ate food. I can't remember if I went to Lewis or Giordano's. I've, I've 
that information. It's on a podcast. I know we talked about it back in in May 2019, but uh, it's been a minute. Uh, I did want to reference the Bite of Seattle quickly. Uh, first off, tried Tiri Cambodian, which previously was in the location in Tequila, kind of like the, the mm-hmm. it's not quite a food hall uh, that we've talked about on the pod previously, but apparently now has moved to Federal Way to a, a separate brick and mortar location, had their uh, their chicken, which was quite delicious. The other thing I had, so I had some cold noodles, uh, hand-pulled noodles. It was from a place that I thought closed years ago. Okay. It was the place that was... Is there ghost noodles that you're having? That, that literally. The, the place that was next to Little Woody's, that is next to Little Woody's oh, yeah. in Capitol Hill, yeah. that we went to lunch to at. I, I thought, thought that was place delicious. was great. Yeah, what is la- it called again? La- Lons, L-A-N, Lands. Okay. Uh, hand-pulled noodles. But apparently they're still in existence. All right. Little died now, so we need to go back there. Good for that. Check it out sometime. So that's all I had on, on Bite great. of Seattle. We have nothing interesting to say about food this week. We were pretty interesting to say about Pagliacci. Okay, yeah. Uh, the Bear season two. I so I ended up. I was flying to Chicago. I'd already watched the entire season. I've already listened to Wilco's catalog. You know what I mean? I'd already exhausted everything about Chicago. Those are the two things. <laughs> I watched Derrick Rose's MVP season in full, and uh, no other basketball things happen in Chicago. Yeah, everyone but, knows Derrick Rose, <laughs> the peak of basketball in Chicago. Like it's been a while. Uh, I found myself listening to various different ringer podcasts talking about the bear season two and almost every single episode that I listened to was talking about this is interesting. So I've not yet listened, got to these to any of them. I, well, I've started their, their uh, prestige TV recap. I'm only on, I've, I'm first through the first two episodes of that, but I was, I was just listening to the watch on the way over here, but I have not yet listened to them discussing the bear. And like all of the conversation is about season two episode six fishes correct and it was just like it was a little bit disappointing that that episode i guess no spoilers or whatever but that particular episode is the one that sucked up so much weight from the season when i was like i watched Uh, it one time and it's a good episode i think episode four got a lot of credit honeydew yeah easily the best episode of the season that and then also Seven, which came right after Fishes. So I watched all of Fishes. I was like, that was pretty intense. I'm going to start another one. And then yeah, it, you, it was... You kind of needed to cleanse the palate after no, that No, no. I just... It was Forks, which was the next episode. Yeah. And this was late when I started watching it. Yeah. And I was like, I can't go to sleep. Like, I am so much more engaged in that episode than I was in Fishes. And it almost is like, by some of the stunt casting that happened in the season, I feel like it almost actually distracted. If there's a criticism of the show, which I don't know if there needs to be, is that it distracted a little bit from the more important episodes of the season, the character. It was almost like like the fucking like backwards episode or something you, on Seinfeld. I don't know that Seinfeld was being critically compared in quite the same way. But you understand what I'm saying. Now. Like, yes. if you have, like, one episode every season where you're going to do a certain type of thing, it's like, that's fine. You can stuff your sorries in a sack, mister. But I I just, I thought it was strange how much weight was given to that when the reality was all of these other, like, the whole season was good in general. Those two other episodes to me, Honeydew and Forks, were, like, mild. They were streets ahead of anything else. I would say, okay, I don't, I mean, obviously, rankings are important. Rankings are important. 
ESPN's senior writer Kevin Belton says rankings are important. They can be useful. Uh, we, I mean, we're we're raking beers. We're, we're raking all sorts of things on this podcast. It's quite quite drinkable, I would say, even though it's like very heavy. It's like seven and a half percent IPA, but or uh, ABV, but very drinkable. Uh, I would say that this is a situation where comparison may be the thief of joy. Because what makes the beer season two so great is that they can tell this, as everyone has compared it to, Atlanta style uh-huh. episode set in Copenhagen. And then they could also do Fishes, which was unlike anything else I have ever seen on television. And then they can also do Forks, which was this equally intimate portrait where Richie went on, he went on a journey without ever leaving Chicago. Yeah. The, I, I also, I was watching it and I just, uh, Ebon Moss, Backrack, he just like, he really is at a different level of anybody else. I mean, I'm contemporaneously, contemporary, I don't know what the word is, contemporaneously rewatching Andor. So to get Ebon Moss Backrack, like at the same time as Richie and as his character in in Andor, like, oh man, it's 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 not too much. It's too much in a good way, if you know what I'm saying. He he is almost a he, he is probably a more exciting actor to see in a TV series series than Bernthal is. Oh. They're both in the show, but like the level of quality that we're getting from Ebon Moss Backrack of if I'm pronouncing his name right. I, uh, I don't have a, like a pronunciation guide here. From but the level of quality Hulu we're getting from him of the shows that he has been in in the last two years oh, yeah. and his performances in them, you're just like, this is maybe the greatest American living actor. I mean, again, I think that's also true of Bernthal. We, we only say <laughs> it was quite remarkable in its own right. I, I feel like Ayo Edaburi's acting in season two has gotten overshadowed. That's the other thing that I think the comparison She was a lot better enjoyed. in season two. Okay, one other thing from a podcast. Hearing Van Lathan talk, this was on like one of the earlier episodes, talk about on the Midnight Boys or whatever they call it, right? Yeah. Is that what it is? On the Midnight yeah, Boys. I have not listened to any of the Midnight Boys content on this. Him talking about uh, Ibrahim. Ibrahim not wanting to go to school to learn, right? Wait, this was on the Prestige TV. They, was this on recapping. the Prestige TV? Yeah. Okay, you with, did listen to that? With Charles Holmes, yes. Yeah, okay. Him talking with Charles Holmes about how he understood why Ibrahim didn't want to go to school to learn about it. Talking about his dad. When, all, anytime Van Lathan talks about his dad, is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but Van Lathan talking about his dad and like weaving it back to his own personal history into this TV show and being like, I understood that because of this thing that happened in my own personal life. And I was just like, like sometimes I think people put too much into art. They're like, yeah, they're, they, they are putting, they're giving this art too much weight, but, and I, that's probably a little bit of what is happening here, but hearing Van Lathan talk about that outside of the bear or whatever, I was just like, God damn it, Van, you fucking <laughs> crushed him on this one. And it was something where it's like you have to sort of consider these different perspectives where us as privileged white people yeah. have a view of the world and are more comfortable with things changing, right? And it's like there are different experiences that are happening out there. And so you can't just view it from this prism of, well, if it was me, I'd go back to chef school. You know what I mean? 
One thing I didn't understand, I, I read somewhere that Ebro was a dishwasher in season one, but he was part of the brigade. That's why he had the line about about the, the brigade. And, uh-huh. And, Many yeah. people died. Yeah. So uh, No, I don't think. He, he was a line cook. Yeah. And then, okay. And then he was the, yeah. uh, the chef de, the meat chef. Yeah. The chef de pastille, I believe. Is that right? Uh, my French is, is very weak, as, as you know. Yeah. Uh, that was un- one of the stories that I I thought was unfortunate, kind of cut short shrift in this season. And I get it because of the fact that the season was already plenty long in its own right. But I would have loved to see spend a day with Ibra when he wasn't going to culinary school. So, yeah. The Bear season two, very good. And I will definitely be getting Italian beef when I head back to Chicago in September to recreate my 2021 trip to watch the uh, Huskies and Seahawks. You're, you're, you're going through this? I think he's the chef de partie. Okay. I'm not sure if that really matters. Should we get into your favorite segment? Should we get into your favorite segment? Oh, wow. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. Well, when I volunteered to do hot takes this week, it was with the intent of giving a proper obituary to the 2023 Seattle Mariners. But you know what the Mariners did? Is they took three games in a row last week, two out of three from the Blue Jays, fighting the strong home field disadvantage (laughs) of playing in front of the Blue Jays fans at T-Mobile Park. The Mariners said to death, not today. So then I was prepared. I was about to be a killjoy with my hot takes. I was all prepared to post the Hannibal Burris gif of why are you booing me? I'm right. <laughs> I was going to do that as my take. But then Julio Rodriguez hit two home runs and the Mariners came back from a four-run deficit entering the eighth inning on Tuesday night. And it was time for a very different takes. And I wanted to unpack a word that's been thrown around a lot lately about the Seattle Mariners. And that word is mediocre. Now, number one, the word mediocre is ridiculous to me. One of the key insights of statistical analysis is telling us that average is actually good. If you have average across the board, that's a positive. And yet, people want to turn average into a bad thing by using this word mediocre. I don't even know where it comes from, why it's so widely used. But I'm going to tell you about another team that's pretty mediocre. (laughs) A team that was never more than three games over 500 in all of July or August. A team that was, like the 2023 Seattle Mariners, 10-10, 12-12, 23-23, 29-29, 30-32, and 30-32, And you know what that they did with that team? What did they do? They built statues to that team because that team was the 1995 <laughs> Seattle Mariners. I had, a th- I had a feeling that might be it. <laughs> oh, I mean, come on. There's only one team we reference on this podcast. Now, look, I'm not saying that the Mariners are going to go into the trade deadline and trade for Andy Benes because of the fact that improbably at 500, they're still in the thick of the wild card race that year. I'm not saying that they are going to save baseball in Seattle because that doesn't need to happen. I'm not even saying that they're going to win a one-game playoff for the AL West. That's probably the odds are against that one. Uh Although the Texas Rangers may collapse. You never know. 
I'm not even saying they're going to come from behind to beat the Yankees in the first round of the playoffs on a game-winning double in extra innings with their starting pitcher on the mound in relief. Look, the 1995 Seattle Mariners are in a category of their own, but they are a good example of why you should not write off baseball teams in July, especially when those teams are average, not mediocre, average, totally fine, and with the potential to do so much more. Wow. What a defensive adequacy. <laughs> that was another consideration of this. Just to rip off of that. <laughs> the adequatulence was high, highly respected in your take. Adequacity. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I was thinking about this, and I was like, what we need for the Mariners is to stop paying attention for a couple weeks, and we need to have a moment of, don't look now. Right. Somebody needs to do that because we're all paying way too much attention. We want to be like, oh, don't write out these Mariners or something. Because when the Mariners won three in a row, I had put them in the playoffs. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. not like a, I'm not not looking or something. <laughs> <The> whole, <laughs> look who's won nine out of ten. The like, pro- I'm looking way too hard at who's won nine out of ten. The problem with hot takes this year is the whole city is hot takes. They were swinging wildly back <laughs> and forth the, the after every wins, win and loss. Like, after every win, it starts here. After every loss, the season is over. Trade everyone. I just want it to be like, th- there are too many Mariners fans right now. The, like, I want this to be like Major League, where it's like the, the people start sort of figuring it out after a while. Where They're like, ooh, what's going on here? The problem is we know way too much about what's going on here. <laughs> I think that may just be a problem with the internet age. We <laughs> yeah. just know too much about everything. Just, that, that's what I want from the Mariners is I want to don't look now. Because again, we cannot have that. If I the mean, Mariners get within three games of the wild card, we'll be like, the Mariners are within three games of the wild card. Maybe <laughs> There's s- not going to be any sneaking up on us. Maybe Seahawks trading camp will be that. that. That's when we could stop paying attention. The Seahawks were the team who last year got a don't look now, but they guess who? They definitely <laughs> did because we were all paying attention to the Mariners yes. last yes. year at that point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the Seahawks really got started after the Mariners got eliminated, basically, right? That, that that to me is what I'm looking for. But the problem is I watch every single game and I hang on it every single moment with I was, this, the same thing you're talking. I was, when the Mariners, so Colton Wong on Monday night hits a two-run homer. This is a triumphant fucking moment for Colton Wong. And I was like, A, Colton Wong needed that moment. Oh, for sure. And B, can we just win the game after that? And so ending up losing that game. See, like, I did not, I was, I was driving... With the Pagliacci to your house. So I, I went through none of these emotions. There were two days in a row where we were close to having the same thing happen. Colton Wong hits the go-ahead homer on Monday against the Twins. Who, all of a sudden, I fucking hate the Twins. I was like, if you don't do a take, I'm going to do a take about how much I hate the city of Minnesota now. Minneapolis? Is that <laughs> The city of Minnesota? <laughs> about how much I hate the city of Minneapolis. Twin cities, I've even heard. Um, but I was just like... For some reason, these fucking twins are so good against the Mariners. Well, it's also just playing them two series in such close proximity. But they're really good it's against like a only the... I mean, they're a good team in I mean, general. You, but You know what they are. What? They're mediocre. I think they're actually better than mediocre. I, I thought they were around 500, weren't they? I think they're... Well, yeah, they are around 500, but they're just a little bit better. And against, their, against the Mariners, they are incredible. Oh, uh, yeah, they're five games over. Okay. But... Did not see through that moment. And then Julio hits the homer, three-run homer to tie the game. 
in the game earlier today. And I was like, if they don't see this through to a victory, I am actually done. <laughs> that is it. Because having those moments where you're celebrating, right? When Colton, well, I'm like jumping up in the air, yelling about Seattle Mariners home runs in July. Like it's fucking 1997. I was fully out two weeks ago, but now I'm suddenly invested again. Beating the Blue Jays too is a very good feeling. Oh, there, yeah. I, I think somehow, again, how, how Minnesota is the team you consider Minnesota and not Toronto the Blue Jays. are now my two most hated teams in the MLB. <laughs> Fans are so busy worried about the Astros and some like I could care. We're cheating news. scandal. Like, Jordan Alvarez is coming back, and I'm like, I don't care. I care about Eduardo Julian now. Like you know, the cheating scandal happened before any of the current Mariners were on the team, right? Like I don't know. If, don't fact check me on that one, but it's pretty close to true. Edward Julian, <laughs> yes. The other thing I was thinking tonight is uh, when George Kip Kirby got rocked early, I was like, you know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad to actually play, uh, to get blown out. <laughs> like, let the bullpen reset a little bit. Chill out. Because the Mariners have now played one, two, because tonight... 12 games in a row. But tonight ended up a one-run game, right? Uh, no, it was a two-run game. Oh, uh, it was a two-run game. They had played four consecutive one-run games before that. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And... Yeah, the the opening game against Minnesota in the previous series was also a run one run game, although they played three consecutive more lopsided ones than that against the Twins. Uh, so the Fangraphs trade value series wrapped up last week. You'll never believe this: Julio Rodriguez was in the top thirty. Uh, I think that's actually kind of higher than I would have guessed. Okay, so here were the remaining rankings. Number twenty six was George Kirby. Okay, he was one spot behind. Shohei Otani. It's pretty wild. Who is? Did we talk about this, or is this offline? Did I talk to you about this? About whether the Mariners should trade George Kirby for whether Shohei. Whether you would trade George Kirby for Shohei. If you had to, sh- if you had assurance that Shohei would resign. Well, obviously you would do it if you had assurance that Shohei would resign. It would be a no-brainer. It would be a question. No, I we mean, actually talked about Julio for Shohei. I mean, was if you had assurance that Shohei would resign. Right. George Kirby is instantly. But also, like, George Kirby is going to You could have the greatest baseball player, maybe of all time, and you're like, oh, yeah, George Kirby? I'm sorry, George Kirby. Bye. After today. Uh, I like like this comment on Shohei from one of the uh, people who was polled on the list. He should either be number one or not in the top 15. I like how right at 25 is kind of (laughs) like it's splitting the difference between those two things. Yep. Even average them out. Number three on the list was Julio Rodriguez. Uh, here was the analysis from Ben Clemens. The way this deal goes wrong is if Rodriguez is more of a one standard deviation above player than a two standard deviations above guy when it comes to star status. I can imagine a world where he's making $20 million a year. There are people who talk this up- way. I'm just, I'm just letting you know in the world, there are human beings who say these words out of their mouths. Yeah. Putting up George Baseball. Springer numbers. This is the sport that I am so actively engaged with. I can't get a don't look now. That's not that bad of an outcome, though, and that's the bad case. The good case is that he spends the next decade as the face of the franchise, a perennial MVP candidate with a few eight-war seasons when everything clicks. That makes for a wildly valuable player, just one who's not quite as valuable as the next two, those being Ronald Acuna Jr. and Wander Franco, who were the top two players on the list. Where was Corbin Carroll on the list? I think he was fourth. Okay. Because that's what I was like. There's, I assume Corbin Carroll would definitely be ahead of Julio right now. Which, like, man... The fact that a player that's that good came from Seattle is pretty wild. Who, who's the greatest all-time player from Ron Santo? From John Seattle? Oliver? John Oliver. Uh, I mean, Ron Santo is in the Hall of Fame. 
Tim Linscombe is probably a better player at his height than either of those players. Probably. I mean, um, yeah, Corbin Carroll was the 16th pick. So the Mariners would have had a chance to draft him, right? Oh, no, because it was 2019, so they were actually coming off of a good they season that good. year. Ugh. Wow. Their huge biggest mistake actually being competitive in 2018 when they drafted four picks later. It took George Kirby, so it worked out. Oh, they it took was, George Kirby. It was, it was not a bad outcome for the Mariners. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, we should do a Seattle's best player at some point and actually do some research on this one uh, more than baseball just thinking or sport. Baseball. Okay. Although that's an interesting... I mean, basketball, we talk about that all the time. Who is it? I mean, I think it's still... Well, it's probably Jamal at this point. Over B-Roy? Yeah. Nate? Bob Hubregs. But that's a, that's a conversation. Who's Seattle's best baseball player is not something I have ever heard. This Obviously, I'm not in the baseball... Seattle baseball discussion the way that... Uh, oh, well, there are two or three deviations better than the other player. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Let's all remain calm here. Two standard deviations above guy. <laughs> uh, how quickly Ellie De La Cruz went from me having never heard of him to him being number six on this list was... Number six? Amazing. I'd trade Julio for him today. He seems very fun. But Julio Rodriguez is pretty fun in his own right. Remember those two home runs earlier today? I do remember those. Right, I look. think me and Luca guessed the players who were ahead of Julio. He said Juan or Franco. Yeah, and you said what? Well, I I said Corbin Carroll was definitely ahead of him. So no. let's all remain calm, and let's get into the roundup. Starting with Kraken, who were busy in the past week. Don't look now. New contracts. Uh, first for head coach Dave Haxtall, who was heading into the final season of his contract, received a two-year extension through the 2025-26 campaign, coming off that playoff run. Uh, also, defenseman Vince Dunn agreed to a four-year, $29.4 million contract in advance of his arbitration hearing that was scheduled for this week. That is the highest average annual value ever for a Kraken player. Dunn was second on the team with 64 points last season, tied for 10th league-wide among defensemen, while recording a team-high plus 28 plus minus. That move probably just about caps off the offseason Kraken now within $2 million of the NHL salary cap. Although, potentially hoping at some point to shed some salary with Chris Drieger if they can trade him uh, and, and retain some of his salary, but uh, not all of it. All right, Seattle Sounders, it is the moment you've all been waiting for. The League's Cup Hello. began last Saturday, and it began with a thud. Oh, no. It was the Kraken. Last the Kraken. The Sounders lost 3 nothing. You know, who knows if the Kraken would have scored as many points, I guess, as goal, many goals if, as uh, the Sounders did. Uh, a 3 nothing loss at Real Salt Lake. Uh, they were outshot 19-7 with just one attempt on goal. Made it to halftime scoreless, but surrendered two goals in rapid succession just into the second half. They were then given a lifeline by an RSL red card in the 60th minute, but could not utilize the man advantage and, in fact, gave up a shorthanded goal, speaking of hockey, in the 88th minute to produce the final margin in this one. Here was Brian Schmetzer after the game. I don't have a lot other than to apologize to the fans that came from Seattle to watch us play. That was not close to our standard. We will try to correct that for our next game against Monterey. RSL outcompeted us. One second balls. Our possession was not very good. We weren't in sync offensively. Uh, so this three-team three group continues. Salt Lake hosts Monterey on Wednesday. The Sounders would still have a clear path to the knockout stages with a win in an RSL result against Monterey. Can't be eliminated 
going into Saturday's group stage finale. Monterey is going to be tough to beat, however, after finishing atop the Liga MX standings for the 2023 Clausura. They are currently third in the Apertura standings with seven points from the first three matches. The worst news from Saturday is that Christian Rodon is back in concussion protocol after being sidelined nearly two months by a concussion earlier this season. Uh, so hope that this one doesn't linger as long, but uh, obviously anytime you have two serious head injuries like that in a short period of time, it, it becomes a really significant concern. Uh, obviously the League's Cup excitement is dominating the U.S. sports oh, team right now. Yeah, everybody's talking about the league, Scott. I mean, it actually is because Leo Messi happens to be debuting for Inter Miami. Okay, I was, I was aware of that. Yes, and scored the winning goal in the 94th minute, I believe, on a uh, free kick in his debut last Friday. And then uh, earlier Tuesday night had two goals and assist. In Did he really? Start. Oh, my God. It, it's it, unfair putting Messi oh, in MLS. Of course. It, I mean, like, obviously, he's a dramatically better player, but it made me think of Roy Kent talking about if he had to play in the U.S. <laughs> in the first season of Ted Lasso. But probably dominate. <laughs> he is Leo Messi. Yes. He just won a World Cup. He really did. I mean, it's not It's not even like he's at the end He is at the end of his career, but it's not like he's washed up like so many of these stars that came to the U.S. It's like you talk Dallas. about, and people don't ever consider this, where it's like the, the higher you start, you can get a lot worse and still be really good. Yeah. If Messi was like a perfect 100, right, Madden rankings-wise, when you started... I think you would say FIFA rankings-wise. They have their own video games. I know, but it's different. They don't really have hundreds in FIFA. Yeah. I guess. But like being a 100 in Madden is like... Being part of the 100 club is like a thing. It's not a thing in FIFA. um, Because they're British and they're assholes. Um, (laughs) European? EA Sports also makes FIFA... I understand, but you know that there's a European bent. There's a more cynical nature. Yes. Uh, I don't even know who to compare them to. Uh, uh, (laughs) NME? Yeah. They're just like, these players are trash compared to the players in the 60s. They're probably (laughs) mostly upset about that uh, 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 British World Cup. It's coming (laughs) home. Every, Every player is worse than that team. Anyway. If Messi is like they don't make him like Bobby Charlton anymore. As far as skill wise, and he was a hundred beforehand, he could still be like a ninety three now, correct, or something. Yeah. And for Messi, that's a lot worse than he was at his peak. But for all players, that's a lot better. And particularly for MLS, players. <laughs> for MLS players, MLS players, it's the best. Yeah. So it's, no, it's exciting. But the, I mean, it is also funny because like usually there's the like, oh, they're slow to adjust to MLS. The style of play is so different. I, I mean, obviously David Beckham who owns the team, is the classic example of this. I think things are a little bit different now, but also Messi is so much better. I agree. I agree. Uh, uh, I mean, look, I don't I don't know if they're going to play in Seattle this year or whatever. I don't believe so. I, I feel like I would know that. I would know if that were the case. But I, are, if we're, are we even playing there? I think you play every team now. Okay. Like... There are not that many Sounders games at this point where I'm like, I definitely need to watch that. Right. Playing against Messi is like, of course I need to watch that. Yeah. It's it is a different it is a different thing that's happening. And <sighs> it's different than almost any Maybe players they don't are play playing. Miami. I'm not seeing anything on the schedule here. So nice one, soccer. Yeah. I don't know how the schedule was made at this point. Really nailed it on that one, MLS. 
We'll be in Atlanta multiple times. Uh, the other worth- I'm playing fucking RSL for the 50th time. <laughs> the other result worth noting from League's Cup. Vancouver lost to Leon in penalties. 16-15. They nearly went through the entire... I think they just about went through the entire lineup twice. I don't know That's how many awesome. misses there were in that 16-50 outcome, but that one jumped out to me as I was looking at the schedule. Uh, well, Rain... There's seven players in the World Cup. I didn't realize this. I was reading a great feature by Logan Murdoch on Megan Rapino on The Ringer. Uh, noted that there's seven players. No, actually, I guess this was different. This was that was a great feature. This stat actually comes from a New Yorker piece by Louisa Thomas on the Women's World Cup. The second most among any player in the club in the world behind the Barcelona women. Wow. So uh, they're going to be very short-handed without those players when they return to action Friday in the United Basel Challenge Cup hosting. He hated San Diego Wave. A win in that one would clinch first place in the Challenge Cup Western Division for the rain. That's big. The U.S. Women's National Team beat Vietnam 3-0 in their World Cup opener. None of the five OL rain players on the roster started, but Rose Lavelle and Megan Rapino both played off the bench in that one. Next up, the biggest group stage match for the USWNT against the Netherlands on Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, Canada opened with a scoreless draw against Nigeria. Neither team finding the net despite a combined 27 shots, just four of them on goal. Canada had 68% possession in that game. Both rain players, Jordan Heidema and Quinn, started. Canada next faces the Republic of Ireland in the wee hours of Wednesday morning, Pacific time, 5 a.m. How has Italy done so far? Italy beat Argentina 1-0. There we go. Great goal. Huge. Uh, I had this DVR'd because it it wasn't extremely late at night, but uh, after my bedtime, it wrapped up at least. Uh, So I watched this on the, as I was riding my exercise bike the next day, the second half, and it looked like it was going to be a pretty pretty desultory draw with not a lot of shots on goal, but... uh, (laughs) That's Italian, baby. Italy brought in their (laughs) all-time high. No, usually it's the one fluke goal and then defend. (laughs) This time the fluke goal, I mean, it wasn't really a fluke goal, but it came late after they brought in their their all-time leading scorer off the bench in like the 80th minute, and she scored a, a terrific header from, you know, probably about 12 yards out, I would say. Hell yeah. So... There we go. Got the three. Bring on the U.S. Well, that is, as we've talked about, the potential matchup. But uh, I believe they next up face Sweden, who is the favorites in their, I want to say, Group E. Okay. So that's what would decide who finishes 1-2 and likely in that group. And 2 is who would face the U.S., right? Correct. If they win the division. Yes, which would, again, hinge on the Netherlands match. All right, Seattle Storm's... Franchise record losing streak reached 10 games. I looked at the score for a second, and I was like, this is too close for comfort. Well, they were up at 18 in the first half Tuesday. What is going on here? Uh, I think it was like going into the fourth quarter. I I was watching the Mariners, and I was like, I almost want to flip over just to cheer against the storm. Oh, no. Like, the thing is, so last Friday night against Chicago was the franchise, snapped the franchise record at nine consecutive losses. And that was the moment where it was like, it's all fun and games to talk about the lottery pick when we're doing our podcast here. But like, there was a real human toll to having lost that game in particular in the fashion that they on did. Who? On the players? On the fans? On everybody. On the organization? But, I, but the players the, the, and Noel Quinn. The people involved have much to learn. 
This is an important thing for the French. Sometimes you need a cleansing season to understand who you are. But sometimes you also This is still a motherfucking this is a silver spoon franchise. This is a born on third base franchise. I mean, I get all of that. Also they they didn't lose 10 consecutive games during their inaugural season and expansion year. It is an expansion team in a year where there were four expansion teams. <laughs> Which I guess may have been yeah, part of it. Yeah, that's because they're other expansion teams. Uh, the, now it's the, kind of an established league. It, it is a very established league. They there aren't a bunch of ex- expansion teams. There are a, a lot of good time. players around and just very few. Of, I was going to say none of them are on the Storm. but Some of them are on the Storm. Some of those good players are on the not Storm. Not enough of them play point guard. Or maybe, I mean, as you make before, does often play center. But This is a franchise that set ticket prices. Am I wrong about this? $50 is the cheapest ticket to get in. Uh, I don't know about that. I I understand you don't pay for these sort of things. But I don't. the real average normal human being going to a Storm game does. And I think that the Storm need to learn that they do not get to sell out every game or sell tickets to all these games just by being terrible. You have to work for it. And you can't set a price and be like, this is a premium ticket. You have to let people try to be part of it. Uh, they, they have they a have philosophy to eat on shit. this. They have to eat. You can have a, I could have a philosophy on anything. I've got a lot of philosophies, but that doesn't mean that they're right. You have to eat shit every once in a while, and the Storm are eating shit right now. Only only two of the Storm's six wins in their inaugural season were against other expansion teams, Indiana and Portland. They somehow beat Los Angeles, who that year was 28-4. and four. One of those four losses came to the Storm as an expansion team? That's pretty crazy. I mean, the, expansion, the 96 Bulls did lose to the expansion Raptors, I'm pretty sure, in that one. But... I think the thing you're not realizing is like, again, like, yes, we can think long-term about the draft pick. The, we're not going through practice every day. We're not out there, you know, experiencing the loss in the same way that players and coaches are. And they, they just need to win at this point. And they played well enough against New York to win, uh, despite losing the lead. The, the Liberty, after a really slow start offensively, got it going in the second half. Uh, it was the Chicago game in particular. Like that's a game they should have won. Chicago or should have had a chance to win. They should have been competitive. Chicago came in on a four-game losing streak of their own. Uh, they've been struggling a little bit after losing James Wade to the Toronto Raptors, as we talked about last week. And the Storm, in the first two plus minutes of the game, gave up eight offensive rebounds out of nine missed shots by Chicago. It was one of the. the like the saddest displays of rebounding I have ever seen. And that really set the tone for that night. But one of the things, the bright spot in that game was Sammy Whitcomb when she came in and made a difference with her energy. And so Sammy Whitcomb made her first start of the season at point guard on Tuesday with Ivana Dojkic. Ivana Dojkic going from starter to DNPCD on Tuesday. And the player who most benefited from that clearly, in addition from the fact that New York wasn't double teaming her the way that both Chicago and Vegas had coming out of the break was Jewel Lloyd, who had 32 points after combining for just 24 and 5 of 24 shooting in her first two games after winning All-Star MVP. Uh, Storm will get another chance at the Sky on Friday in Chicago. Again, a game we want them to win to try to knock the Sky out of the playoffs. The Sky have been losing a little bit, I've noticed. They have been losing a little bit, but unfortunately, no one is really stepping up to claim that uh, that eighth playoff spot in the WNBA. I, I will cheer for the Storm in that game. I will begrudgingly cheer for the Storm. The LA Sparks did snap their own longest losing streak in franchise history, which was at eight games, a game winner by former Storm point guard Jordan Canada yeah, on against Tuesday Against this night. guy. 
No, no they okay. were, Chicago was playing against Vegas. So. The, the base ticket price, it's $30. So if I were to try to go to the Seattle Storm versus the Dallas Wings on Wednesday, August 2nd, a game that not that many people want to go to, I would assume. The cheapest, there's a bunch of verified resale tickets that are much cheaper, which again, is not a great look for the franchise. But the cheapest base ticket price is $30. There's tickets in the like second section for $65 for these games. The WNBA should set, the NBA has a rule that you have to have so many tickets for $10. Is that right? That is correct. Why does the WNBA not have this rule? I mean, I think the WNBA does, no, does not want to be perceived as like, it, the, the WNBA doesn't have to worry about the perception that their ticket prices are too expensive because that's just not the perception by anybody but you. It kind of is true, though, for the Storm, is it not? I agree that, like, even, you know, Mariners, the Mariners have many seats cheaper than that, for example. Yes. Thousands of seats. They have all of, I mean, all of center field is $10 a game. Yeah. Every single game, no matter who they're playing. Yeah. I'm way more likely to go to, a, to casually go to a Mariners game than I am to casually go to a Storm game because of that. If you have five people in your family, even at a $30 ticket price, it's the difference between $50 or $150. The other thing about setting your ticket price at that point is it allows you to discount off of that and say it's X percent off or whatever that you're getting a deal. For who? For what? For people that are re getting the storm emails. So I, I don't think that is a good way to do it. You can give people the a, a handful of tickets that they have to buy early in the same way that for Mariners games, for $10 tickets, you have to plan ahead Correct. a little bit for center field. If, if it's an important series. Or you know, if it's a Friday night. Yeah. If it's a weekend night, you have to plan ahead. You can't just buy those tickets morning of because they do sell out. But you can't put the worst product in the league on the court and also expect to be able to sell your tickets for this price. I mean, I will say, for now, the tickets look like, I mean, there's a lot of resale tickets on here on this map. I still think their season ticket base holder base is strong. But if they don't get Caitlin Clark this year, things are going to be bleak. I don't think it necessarily has to be Caitlin Clark, but it, there has to be someone exciting from the draft, yes. Uh, and, and you also have the Joel Lloyd free agency looming. So, Where was it? Who, which team does Dwayne Wade? Dwayne Wade is an owner of the Sky, right? Correct. He bought into the Sky. But the Sky also have, like, I, I wrote about the practice facilities a couple weeks ago on ESPN.com. Chicago and L.A. are the two teams that get singled out as having the worst practice facility situations in the league. So they said that they're exploring sites in the Chicago area to build their own practice facility. But that's not the same as the Storm having one ready to open in 2024. So that will be interesting to watch. Dwayne Wade was doing some recruiting, though. Was he? Oh, yeah. He was definitely publicly tweeting about how good Jewel Lloyd was. I missed this. I missed this entire... This was over the All-Star break. Yeah. Dwayne Wade, he knows what he's doing. He, he does know what he's doing. I agree. Also, the idea that it would be like, oh, the L.A. can't attract free agents. I mean, L.A. has still done I okay. I think they'll be fine. Wise. I think they'll but be it okay. Would, it would definitely be better. I mean, I mean, there's their uh, chief operating officer in GM, Karen Bryant, who was formerly the CEO of the Storm, was quoted in my story as saying that uh, the practice facilities will become the defining factor in free agency. So there you go. The Sparks? Karen Bryant yeah. works for the Sparks? Yeah. Uh, so these Whew. Sparks, with that win Tuesday, pulled within one game of the Chicago Sky in the playoff standings. So we're keeping an eye on that All race right, that's for big, a, That's big. The Storm uh, now six games, or five games out of eighth. Five games out of eighth. So they, they can afford to win a couple of games at this point. It's okay. Just kind of need it.
All right, one women's uh, college women's basketball note, which is also what you know, men's basketball note. Trey Simmons was named an assistant coach at Oregon uh, under Kelly Graves. I saw this trade up. Yeah, so we'd rather see him obviously wearing purple than green, but. Uh, Excited for Trey Simmons after his 14-year international career. A really awesome career for Trey Simmons. All right, UW football, not a lot of note from Pac-12 Media Day, I would say. It depends on which parts of the internet you're reading. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you're talking about the, the expansion space or the... Uh... Think, things, things are popping off in, are, in my are, expansion parts. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's expansion or contraction. <laughs> for the Pac-12, it's contraction. Oh, for the Big 12, it's expansion. Oh, no. If you ask people in a, in, a, in a certain sect of the internet, right? This is like I'm reading like conspiracy Reddit or something. Uh, but a certain part of certain part of it sounds like you're reading the dark web. The dark web <laughs> yeah, has already put, of... has already put the buffaloes in the Big Twelve. Oh well, I mean that is kind of where they belong. Uh, on the Utah football front, if Colorado goes to the Big Twelve, there it is. The Pac-12 is one or two teams away from folding. Like this is it is a House of Cards at this collapsing. point. Collapsing. I don't know they're going to fold. I don't know what that means. Or collapsing as a conference. I mean, they also, like the Pac-12 brand is strong enough that in the event that the Pac-12, as we currently know it, there was a diaspora of those teams, they would probably just absorb the Mountain West, right? Because the Pac-12 brand is stronger than the Mountain West brand. You're saying if, let's say that UW, Oregon... I don't think there's a scenario where the pack the pack X ceases to exist is what I'm really talking. yeah the brand is just too much better than the Mountain West or the WAC or the West Coast Conference like we've seen all these other you know conferences. That, you know that UW would go to the Big Ten and whatever that new conference was would kick our ass at basketball hundred <laughs> percent they would we'd be like the fucking Pack Eight is crushing us again <laughs> but it's like there's this constant churn like the American now is all the teams that used to be in Conference USA. Because all the American teams are going to the Big 12 or elsewhere. Like Houston is going to the Big 12. Uh-huh. And so therefore they recruited a bunch of teams from the Ameri- the Conference USA to the American to replace them. It is always kind of the same thing. Yeah. Where people are just like having different titles and rejiggering basically the same rivalries. It's uh, almost like all of this is made up and nothing really matters. I mean, yes. But but again, there's a certain part of the internet that uh, I I'm not as convinced as you are that if what's left of the pack whatever is cal oregon state wazoo maybe stanford i guess they could probably cobble together a pack something yeah i mean you just take some a bunch of the mountain west schools yeah again the the legacy of the conference going back as far as it does it is like what's the conference that has ceased to exist since the southwest conference times are different now though when was the last time that this many important schools have changed conferences? I mean, the thing is, that, like, yeah, the, that's the, the point. Is like the bunch of schools left the Big Twelve. It's not like the Big Twelve stopped existing; they just changed. No, the Big Twelve being in now like weirdly a position of power all of a sudden after losing their three most important schools, maybe well, even more schools that were holding them back. Some would say. I mean, nobody would say that, but <laughs> but in terms of like, holding them back in what regard? Money making. But in terms of like being attractive to Colorado to go to, Colorado wasn't trying to go there when Texas and Oklahoma were there. I don't really understand. They left. They they, they went the other direction. It's, it really is strange how the Pac-12 name has transformed. 
It's just they had the exact same image as the Big Ten, and the Big Ten does it better. The, you're They're saying the, the Big Ten's corner. The Big Ten market corrected them. I mean, they kind of did, didn't <laughs> they? They did. I don't disagree. The Big Ten, they were like, yeah, we care about sports we have, and we care about education, right? That's kind of the Pac-12's don't, brand. Don't care about hazing. But... Well, that was an individual school. I, I Yes, I'm not blaming the entire conference for that. But Somebody cares about uh, recruiting violations over here. Am I right, Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> <laughs> this motherfucker, I swear to God, like I can see the trade-off of being basically like mob boss in a college town. You know, like I understand that. If he was in the NFL, he'd have to really fucking work every year. Yeah. And Jim Harbaugh obviously is working hard. I'm not saying that he's not. But there is something about being at college. I mean, Nick Saban took one look at the NFL and was like, nah, I'm good. It's a lot harder job. I mean, like Urban Meyer said, where he's like, every week is like planning for Alabama and the NFL. I mean, it's weird because on the one hand, it's like not much harder because of the fact that you don't have to pick the players. They've got a whole, they've got a whole other department for that in the NFL. But still, like... The job, an NFL coaching job is a lot harder than a college coaching job. I think... Or you... you you're, the, much the less, coaching... you're much less successful in the NFL, but I think the work-life balance is actually in some ways worse in college. It could be. You just have to be... You have to be thinking about so many different things in college. Yes. And planning for so many different things. You're much more a CEO. But to have to deal with getting suspended because of recruiting violations when you're Jim fucking Harbaugh, like, I, that to me would be enough to be like, you know what, fuck this. I'm just going to go coach the Colts. You know? Well, <laughs> anyways, Kaitlin DeBoer said he's never seen, quote, never seen the injury list as small as it is right now with defensive lineman Tuli Lachanoa. <laughs> but I was saying relative to other Julys. And for Tui, Tui Taylor, ready he to start camp. for that long. <laughs> I was an assistant for a long period of time. I think he still saw injury reports. It was very strange thing to say. After being limited in the spring, new running back Dylan Johnson set to, quote, ease into things after not participating. Farewell to Jabez Tini, the Kennedy Catholic wide receiver who left the team but remains enrolled at UW, meaning the Huskies no longer have any Kennedy products on the roster after having four of them last season. It's kind of bonkers. The whole Kennedy contingent is gone. Has there been a good Kennedy player at UW? Paul Arnold? It's been a long time. There have been better Hazen players than there have been Kennedy players. That is, that is I'm just indisputably correct. First round picks. Shouts to Joe Tryon Shoyinka. All right, Seahawks training camp, as we mentioned, at the top starts Wednesday. Devin Witherspoon still unsigned, the last remaining unsigned first round pick after Anthony Richardson and CJ Stroud agreed to terms on Monday. Uh, not not a real concern as yet, but I guess if this continues later in the week, it might get to become one. I don't. I just don't even get what they could be negotiating. It has to be just like very tiny bits. Yeah, it's like the structure of the payment of his signing bonus, that sort of thing. Uh, Chenna Nuosu agreed to a three-year extension earlier this week, entering what was the final season of the two-year contract he signed with the Seahawks in the 2022 offseason. Per Brad Spiegler of PFF, Base value of the extension is $45 million with an additional $6 million in escalators tied to Numosu's sack totals. Don't know that structure yet, but uh, so we'll see what it does to his cap number this year, but probably we'll bring it down a little bit, you would assume. Okay, I wanted to ask you about this. I saw the signing. Obviously, it's awesome. Love yeah. Chen Numosu. But... Your complaint about the initial signing of Uchen Wosu was that it was such a short deal. That they, like, if things worked out, they didn't necessarily derive much benefit from it. And 
it seems like they were able to get a a pretty positive contract uh given the fact that you know he wanted the security of a longer team term deal and was already under contract i would say like this feels fair but you know his original contract was a 9. Point, you know a little bit less than 9. Point, or a little bit more than 9.5 million per year and now it's a 15 million dollar per million 15 million per year price point on the additional years. So they are paying more, certainly. Do you think that that actually has a factor, though? Because I was thinking of this. Let's say that the Seahawks had signed Uchenna Osu for a longer-term deal. If they had originally signed him to a five-year, $64 million deal. Does he just say, you're tearing up that contract? I played well enough, you're tearing up that contract, and I need a new one. Or is he holding out? No, I don't think he played well enough to do that, especially if there's like multiple years left on it. You don't think so? No. Okay. Uh, the Seahawks also created cap space with the restructure of Quandary Diggs deal, converting twelve point three million of his two thousand twenty three salary into a bonus, shifting six point one million from his two thousand twenty three cap hit to two thousand twenty four, according to Over the Cap. This sets up either another restructure next year, perhaps as part of an extension, or a release of Diggs in a year because his two thousand twenty four cap hit is now twenty one point three million, but his ten point five million base salary is fully non guaranteed. So. One way or another, the Seahawks' safety position is going to look different than it does in 2024. It seems very unlikely to me that Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, and Julian Love will all be on the roster uh, this time a year from now, but we'll see how that plays out plenty of time between now and then, I suppose. Uh, the last, I guess Alton Robinson was released. I don't have I was a little surprised by that. He missed all of last season due to injury. Yeah. And then also like Alan Robinson. Yeah. Was drafted before the full on shift to the three, four Uh, long snapper, Tyler Ott heading to Baltimore. Ott missed last season with a shoulder injury after serving as the Seahawks long snapper in the previous five years, earning a pro bowl appearance in 2020. Carson Tinker replaced him, but remains unsigned leaving undrafted rookie Chris, Chris Stoll as the Seahawks long snapper entering training camp. We have to talk about quarterback rankings one more time. (laughs) <laughs> oh the the madden rankings no 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 the not the madden rankings just the the rankings from a week ago i'm still trying to understand oh, Matthew Stafford. this is the third week in a row that we have to talk about matthew stafford <laughs> I don't, did we talk about him three weeks ago yes the, this is two weeks the, ago because the qb rankings hadn't come up throughout oh maybe ago. maybe this is only two weeks yeah. of matthew stafford I, I think it's all, well, did you see the the the, the player rankings we, we now and we america's matthew stafford <laughs> ranking crisis week two <laughs> <laughs> oh, or actually, <laughs> Matthew Stafford, Dead Wrong Reckoning, part two. <laughs> part one. No, this last part was part one. That this was part, part two. Did you see the player rankings of the players who just missed the uh, top 100? 100. There were three Seahawks in the, the players who just missed. Oh, I only saw two. I, I knew DK and Quandra Diggs were in there. Jordan Brooks was also oh, in there. Oh, right. Yes, Jordan Brooks was also in there. I was <laughs> just like, what? That was really an incredible one to see in the list. You know, many Seahawks had great seasons last year, and Jordan Brooks was also on the roster. <laughs> I was like, I think he was ranked ahead of DK Metcalf. No, he, he was, was behind one, DK. DK was spot. 101. Yeah, he was Brooks ahead was of two. He was ahead of Quandre, who not only was a better player last season, also remains healthy. <laughs> Played on the team the entire season. He's not likely to miss most of the season, if not the entire season, following an ACL injury. That that was an incredible one. So we you have know, to talk about rankings one more time. 
So <laughs> once more onto that breach. I watched I watched the show Quarterback on Netflix. I watched flying to Chicago, flying back from Chicago. I was a little bummed that Justin Fields wasn't on it, my quarterback. And but the, <laughs> well, you know what he was on. What was he on? The NFL 100. <laughs> was Did you it? not see this? I think Justin Fields is good. I think Justin I Fields. Think Justin is, Fields is good, especially if you're an NFL player and you want to rank players. I think Justin Fields is very promising. He ranked ahead of Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> He was, I believe, 88, and Trevor Lawrence was 96, I want to say. That's actually kind of incredible. But. <clears throat> yes. I watched, the, I watched, I had to look at, I have Ben's stats up over here. Okay. As another point of reference. Uh, I, I watched that show Quarterback. And I have to say, my number one takeaway. Is how much you love Kirk Cousins? Was that I, I don't mind Kirk Cousins. Oh, no. I think Kirk Cousins as a player is very deeply underrated. And he was the one who stood out to me the most as the player who was shocking that Matthew Stafford was ahead of. The other person that I really, I watched this and I was like, Kevin O'Connell is him. Kevin O'Connell oh. is that dude. Well, I, I, don't, I don't feel like the reviews, I mean, the record was great, but I don't feel like the reviews of Kevin O'Connell's in-game management were definitely... And from the show? Necessarily, I, I mean, not from the they show, just, but from the season. There were some times that he dialed up plays where I was like, oh, Kevin O'Connell, is he knows what's up. Uh, he dialed up you're, some incredible you're sure plays. You, you know who Kevin O'Connell, where Kevin O'Connell previously worked. Right? I do. I'm very <laughs> aware. He's very much seeing him talk part. He's like, they, he's all part of the same crew, right? Yeah. Uh, of uh, good-looking young tough guy NFL coaches, right? <laughs> like, but he, when you see him interviewed, he's not being interviewed in Malibu. Yeah, no. <laughs> His hair also is very, very much more modern than uh, Sean McVay's. It's not. It's not like 1999 fresh. Anyway, <laughs> after does, that, does you, it scream rock rap, rap rock? You would be look, rap rock's back, but <laughs> Fair. maybe not back, but. You would be shocked to learn. What was Christmas? What, what festival was he at last weekend? He was at some No Effects festival yeah. at, right at the like the America's Car Show next to Tacoma Dome. Huh. Yeah, I was just like, that's a place that one can be. <laughs> <laughs> there are many places in the world, and that's one of the places you can be. I'm sure it's very fun, um, but. You would be shocked to learn that the Minnesota Vikings went thirteen and four last year. I, I, I believe we they were that, the number two seed in the NFC. They won that game on the Saturday, right, where they were down by like thirty points in the first quarter of the Colts. Yes, they won that game, which is they, why the Colts was, were in position to draft Anthony Richardson ahead of the Seahawks. I mean, we weren't drafting Anthony Richard, Richardson anyway, so no, it doesn't matter. By the way, the name of that is the Punkin Drublick Festival. Hmm. The they beat the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo. Like, this team had a very good season. There yeah. were people talking about, not a lot of them, a lot of clips of Michael Irvin. What? They had a very good record. But I'm not prepared to say they had a very look, good season. Look, this is what we're judging here. We're not talking, these people are not diving into the stats. Because oh, you're Michael Irvin. Yeah. If you're aware, Matthew Stafford was in the top 10, and there's no statistical reason that he would be there. Well, I'm aware of the So Rams, you can't argue stats. The Rams did have a considerably worse point differential last year than even the Vikings. He's the quarterback, and somehow, because they lost one game to the Giants in the playoffs, Kirk Cousins, if they win that game, literally the difference between him being in that 10 slot, maybe even higher, 
is whether he wins or loses this one game against the Giants in the playoffs. Where yeah. I think they scored a pretty good chunk of points. The defense just could not stop the Giants. All right, hold on. It's going to take me a second to fact check this. And so I went and looked at Ben's quarterback stats because I was like, where does Kirk Cousins rank in the CP, CPA plus or uh, uh, EPA plus CPOE composite? And I'm not going to say it's good because Jared Goff also should have an argument here for being in that same slot. Correct. Who was traded for Matthew Stafford. Kirk Cousins, 85 QBR in their playoff loss, 31 of 39 for 273 yards. Really offensively, oh no, I guess got, yeah, got done in by, uh, in terms of their passing by Justin Jefferson's one of one for minus two yards. Oof. Yeah. Also Kirk Cousins, as we saw on the show was pretty hurt throughout the season, but He's he's 18th when you lower the minimum attempts to 200. It's not good, but when you look at 18th and you look at 13 and 4, I don't understand how any way you could find yourself at Matthew Stafford as the 10th best quarterback. Matthew Stafford, by comparison, last year was 28th behind Justin Fields. Oh my God! On these, Matthew Stafford was very bad last season. Right next to Russell Wilson, behind Kyler Murray, Tyler Heineke, and I think Russell Wilson is actually your strongest point here. Not not Kirk Cousins. Well, how is it not Kirk? It's literally because there's ten it, players. Because the argument the for Matthew Stafford point. has to be that he happened to win a Super Bowl two years no. ago. The argument for Matthew Stafford has to be, we have to throw out last year. That was an outlier. He's going to be much better going forward. And if you're going to make that argument about Matthew Stafford, you have to make that argument about Russell Wilson 10 times more. And Russell Wilson has consistently been better throughout these years. But I'm just saying, how can you be a quarterback who went, because again, quarterback wins are literally all that matter in how we judge players. We know this. Not all that matters. They're overvalued in how we judge players. He is a quarterback who went 13-4. and Somehow last year. And I feel like it has been completely forgotten. It has been struck from the record that that happened because he happened to lose a playoff game and people don't like Kirk Cousins. And for some reason, people fucking love Matthew Stafford. There's something about Matthew Stafford that people get so excited about. Maybe it's because he makes one good pass every year, and that's all you see. He makes one no-look pass in the Super Bowl. I mean, I think I think we, like, again, you keep, well, I don't know. What could it possibly be? Like, look, he's a toolsy quarterback. People that evaluate quarterbacks based on film overvalue tools relative to results. And... I think they are correct to attribute some of Kirk Cousins' success to the Vikings' ability to set up play action, which is something that they did very well under Kevin O'Connell and used play, utilized play action uh, quite a bit. And I, and I mean, it's a similar argument with Ryan Tannehill, where it's a run-heavy team where a lot of success comes at play action, and if you forced him to sit back there and throw it fifty times, the results might not necessarily be so good. But I do think people are overvaluing that relative to their actual. Why does Stafford then not get dinged for this? Because people also think that Sean McVay is an offensive genius. Why is that not? Because uh, people thought that Matthew Stafford was that good in Detroit. Remember the argument? Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this. We had a difference of position about uh, a difference of perspective about Matthew Stafford's value when he was traded from the Lions to the Rams before he had won that Super Bowl. And obviously, I, I was only relatively higher on Matthew Stafford compared to you. I was still much lower than him on him. <laughs> it's it's like the, the degrees community. when you come down. <laughs> like Leo Messi. 
<laughs> if you get worse. So if the, the, if the tape community was 100 on Matt Stafford, I was a 93 and you were a 40. So, you got any more Matthew Stafford Since takes? 2010. The main thing is that you're at least granting him Matthew status at this point. EPA plus CPOE composite, all quarterbacks, minimum 200 plays. Matthew Stafford ranks. Wait, where is Russell Wilson on this list? Number 34 oh. among quarterbacks. Ooh, behind boy. Vince Young. That is... Behind Nick Mullins, David Garrard. John Kitna. John Kitna. Are you sure this isn't just the... No, I guess it isn't. definitely isn't. Russell just Wilson is 11. Kirk Cousins is 18th. Yeah. Matthew Ooh. Stafford is not a good quarterback. Matthew Stafford... None of your arguments, your statistical arguments seem to be favoring Kirk Cousins. I'm not... Look, it's Kirk Cousins is better. Matthew Stafford. When you say that Kirk Cousins... If Kirk Cousins I, I'm not disputing that Kirk Cousins is better. best quarterback of the last 12 years... I'm saying... Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. So are a lot of other quarterbacks who weren't in the top 10 this year. Like who? Well, Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Oh, no, Tua. It's offensive that Tua wasn't in there as and well. And again, Russell Wilson. I, but what I'm allowing is that if if... If what you're judging is it needs to be longer than I can accept that Tua was only it good would be for a short to run a statistical time. analysis against the like the ESPN rankings or or something like that and see what what things the voters actually are valuing. That's that's one of the things I see as a value to these sorts of rankings. Is see what things they're valuing. Winning yeah. the Super Bowl obviously is a huge part of it. Sure. I think recent playoff wins matters. Trevor Lawrence winning that playoff game. Has, has Herbert won a playoff game? I mean, statistically, well, Herbert was obviously not did that not good make last it two year. years ago, and last year they lost in Jacksonville. So it's no, almost he's like not won a being really tall and white is something that they're valuing. I mean, I think I think Justin Herbert's ranking is more fair than Stafford's. Is. I he wasn't necessarily that good last year. No, but two years ago, he was very good. Like, the analyst committee is not out on Justin Herbert. Let's be clear. I'm saying that Tuatunga Viola. Justin Herbert, now the highest paid NFL quarterback. I'm willing to accept. Over Mahomes? He got paid more? Mahomes is the third highest paid quarterback in his own division. Really? Yeah. Wow. He should hold out. (laughs) I I agree. (laughs) I don't know. The Seahawks don't play the Chiefs this year, do they? If the argument is, though, that it needs to happen for longer... And I'm, I guess I'm, I don't agree with that, but I'm willing to accept that. I don't understand that I'm fine with moving Tua out of that ranking. But what we're talking about is sustained success over a long period of time and a good record wins. And Kirk Cousins is better at both of these things than Matthew Stafford is. I, I he won a Super Bowl as a five seed, as a six seed or something. It's not like... They were the number one seed the entire year, and I mean, then they, they won were, the Super Bowl. They didn't face the Chiefs also. They, they did have a much better odds all along than their record. Like, people always perceived them to be a stronger team than their record was. If the Chiefs beat the Bengals in that game, Matthew Stafford is nowhere near on that list. That's This uh, is like butterfly effect. Uh, if mean, they don't win that Super Bowl, I mean, if the again, Chiefs just crush the Rams in the I've, Super Bowl like they I've would have. said multiple times here. The tape community was always very high on Matthew Stafford, even when he did not have a Super Bowl on his resume. That's fine. So it is not surprising that they continue to be very high on Matthew Stafford. You look and see what they're actually judging and figure that out. Well, I don't really have time for that, but someone should do that. Uh, the last bit of news on the Seahawks this week, I can't believe we've managed to go this long without talking about it, is that they unveiled 
Oh, wow. It feels like it was so long ago. It did, because they they ruled this out like hours after we recorded the last podcast. It was the worst possible timing for us. Uh, Their long-awaited throwback jerseys. Uh, The real news here, with the NFL's limit of four jerseys per team, Wolf Gray had to be mothballed for now. I'm okay with that. I'm furious about it. Wolf Gray is my favorite Seahawks jersey. Really? Yes. And that's number one. That's point number one. And... uh, Ben B's takes about the Wolf Gray are offensive. I just he doesn't. Say that. He doesn't like the Wolf Gray. He says they look dirty. Number two. <laughs> Number two. I don't. I don't personally like the Action Green. I would. I would have done away with that one instead of the Wolf. But Gray. that's the point. Is so they have obviously their traditional blue home jerseys. They have the throwback home jerseys. Oh yes. They have the Action Green jerseys, which are exclusively worn at home. They have three home jerseys and. Only one option now for the road. They can change between the gray, gray and blue pants and, I guess, white, hypothetically, if they wanted to go all white on the road. But why have three home jerseys and only one road jersey? Hmm? Hmm? There you go. Wow. Exposed. Really makes you think. Do you know who else is exposed? You. For not loving the throwback jerseys. I, we're not going to get into that again. These, these are the, this is the exact not, opposite yeah. of the Seattle Mariners and their City Connect jerseys. This was the greatest thing to have ever happened in jerseys in the city of Seattle of all, since the Mariners went teal in 95. 94? 94. The, those are the two greatest moments in jerseys. If, maybe when the Sonics went back to the like 90s colors in the, in the like early 2000s. 2001, yeah. When Howard Schultz bought the team. Like I'll give it up to Howard Schultz for that one. He did yeah, one thing that right. one. <laughs> <laughs> he did something else that was pretty bad for the Sonics long term. Can't but... think of it. Can't put my finger on it. Uh, but the jerseys coming back. These are the best jerseys in the NFL, excluding nobody. They are it. These jerseys are him. This is going to be a situation where the Seahawks. We're going to be looking at this in Aren't three they years. Them in this context. They're they're going to be like these are just the jerseys again, right? Didn't the Cowboys do that? They wore their throwbacks and they were like, actually, those are just our jerseys. That is what is going to happen with these because they're objectively better than the Seahawks' current jerseys. Every player looks amazing. The only thing that I'm upset about, and again, it's a very long, complicated relationship with Russell Wilson, but I am very sad that Russell Wilson never got to wear these jerseys. But there were so many photoshops of him in those jerseys. It's they all looked amazing. I think Richard Sherman should come back for at least a game to wear them. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I want to That's Bob, that Bobby Wagner. <laughs> Bobby Wagner in the in the throwback Seahawks blue. It was just like it looks so right. The Seahawks did a very good job with the rollout of the jerseys. <sighs> sent them to other local athletes and had them po- or you know had them Matt come in for photo shoots. <laughs> He's not an athlete. I keep trying to tell you. <laughs> Sammy Wickham. Uh, uh, did they send him to Sammy? Diaz. There we go. I, I forget who the Mariners were who did it. But they must had, have been Julio, right? You would think, but I, I don't remember specifically. But we need to get to the most important topic this week. What's that? Waterfallies preview. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize we had this. I thought the we were Columbia done. I thought we here, were done. Ladies and gentlemen. I guess it always coincides with the trade deadline. And the field on the Columbia River is wide open there we after go. the retirement of Longstreet, longtime Home Street Bank driver Jimmy Shane. I'm over here complaining about Matthew Stafford. I didn't even know that we had the waterfalls to talk about. You asked before we started whether this could be a long pot or not, and it was because of that. Uh, eight boats have raced this season. As mentioned previously, neither of the first two races on the H1 limited schedule was able to be completed due to a combination of accidents in the final, flips in the final specifically, and weather. Uh, the U9 Beacon Plumbing, driven by Corey Peabody of Covington, was awarded the winning Guntersville on points, while J. Michael Kelly of Bonnie Lake 
Got to win in Madison <laughs> and the UA Beacon Electric. A third different boat, U11 Legend Yacht Transport, driven by Jamie Nielsen of Gig Harbor, <laughs> leads on overall points thus far. That's awesome. Sadly, the next the next few drivers we're going to talk about are not from Seattle. Aww. The home street has been surprisingly non-competitive this really? season, driven by rookie Dylan Run finishing fourth and fifth, respectively. Why do they have a rookie the driving time. that boat? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're looking for it. I don't know. They're looking for what? It's an Anthony Richardson type situation. They turn the whole franchise over to him, not really knowing what to expect. Uh, Andrew Tate, back in the field, driving the U91 Goodman Real Estate, a secondary boat for the Home Street team. Where's Andrew Tate from? Detroit. In, Indiana, oh, Detroit. Uh, he finished second in the Detroit area. I don't, I don't know the specific suburb. <laughs> you can't go as deep as no, Kick Harbor. No. <laughs> finished second in Guntersville with a flip in the final, but that boat is expected to be ready for the Columbia Cup, as is the U40. Uh, definitely ready to go after flipping in the Madison final. Uh, we are adding to the field the U12 Graham Trucking this weekend, driven by rookie Bobby King, the son of U3 Griggs Ace Hardware driver Jimmy King. There we go. You're so excited about nepotism now. Uh, the last time a father and son competed against each other in H1 Unlimited was Greg and Jerry Hop in 2001. I so remember it's that. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, it gives us nine total boats with a tenth expected for Seafair. Assuming all of these boats make it unscathed through the weekend. Wow. And what's the weather looking like on the eastern half of the state? It's fucking hot. Are you going over there? <laughs> no. Oh. Sadly, I'm not going to make it this year. It's a shame because the fact that we are spending, I, I'm spending next weekend, and then we are collectively, I mean, you're going to be there part of it as well, and then we are collectively spending the following four days in central Washington. I know, we're so close. But somehow not in between going to the Tri-Cities. <laughs> we will not be on the, the Pasco shores as usual or on the Kennewick shores. Have you been back post-COVID? No. Oh, wow. Are you going to be at Seafair? Yes. Okay. Well, I anticipate being at Seafair all three days this year. Wow. All three days. I mean, I was there two days last year. I missed the third day because it was Super's final regular season home <laughs> game. You were a little devastated. Oh. So so who's the favorite again going into Water Follies? I, I really, like, if I'm handicapping it, I, I guess either J. Michael Kelly or Andrew Tate. And what are their boats again? So that's the... Uh, J. Michael Kelly is in the Beacon Electric. Okay. And and Andrew Tate is in the Goodman Real Estate. Okay. So we'll see. But it's a much more wide open field. The, the qualifying times have all been fairly similar. And, and it's much more wide open than it has been in years past, I would say. Uh, the forecast for Pasco this weekend is 93, 94, 92. It's definitely been hotter. It has been hotter than that. It'll be 100 on Wednesday. So it's, it's getting hotter in like the state of Washington just in time for us to be in central Washington next week. So that pool is going to come in handy. So, yeah, we will, of course, have a full recap along with a Seafair preview this time next week. Don't look now. Seafair's <laughs> upon us. That was one that actually snuck up on me. It That's did. what I was looking for. It did. Well... If only the Mariners could do this. <laughs> if only I could forget about them. If you could take a pill, you could forget the Mariners existed until they had an eight-game win streak. <laughs> On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.